Will you bow your heads with us as we pray? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would prepare the soil of our hearts now. We know that you bring goodness upon us always, but we're not always ready to receive your grace and goodness. So as we get ready to open up your word now, Father, we ask that you would speak into each one of our lives that which we need to hear, and that these words would go to mold us into your image, and that we would experience the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to leave a legacy of faith. And we've been talking about the importance and the sacred task of those of us who are older in age, and I include myself in that, than the, than the next generations, about the importance of us to be able to pass on our legacy of faith to them. And it's important because if we don't do it, it'll be harder for them to be able to come to the knowing story and love and grace of God. It is so important that the scriptures in the first five books of the Bible set a prescription for how you and I are to leave our legacy of faith for the generations that are to come. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It'll be up on the screen, but it's always fun to have your Bibles and be able to look at it in your own translation. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 is God's prescription for you and for me as to how we are to leave our legacy of faith. Right? This is a Hebrew word that is used for this. This was a prayer, and it's called the Shema. And this was a Jewish prescription, and there are brothers and sisters, there are predecessors, and so it is a prescription for you and for me as to how we are to pass on our faith. And here's what the Bible says. Hear, O Israel, and that's a part of us, we're the spiritual Israel, as Paul um, points out to us. The Lord, is, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And here's the, the important part where it starts. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The prescription and the command that you and I get from Scripture is that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. That's step number one. The first step is an invitation into relationship. God is inviting you into a relationship with him. It is a relationship that will set the standard for all other relationships, which is a good thing, but it also invites us to live a life that is made in the image of God. And so the very first thing as to how you establish your legacy of faith isn't just about all the sermons you preached or the classes you taught or how much money you gave to the church, but the legacy of your faith for which you pass on to the next generations is how well did you love God with all your heart, your might, and your soul. 
You see, we oftentimes think that our legacy of faith has to be, you know, we give an endowment to an organization and then our name gets put on the side of a building. Or, you know, we do all these things for the church and we think that our legacy of faith is that. But the reality and what Scripture teaches us is the legacy of your faith, first and foremost, is the relationship that you have with God. It doesn't take any money. It doesn't take any special skills. A relationship with God, all it takes is an openness from you to be encountered by God. How many of us want that this morning? I know I do. The invitation to this relationship, what's amazing about this is, as, as Daniel pointed out, is that God says, call me. Call me anytime you want, call me, and I will answer. And as, I love how the, the imagery that Daniel says, Daniel Holder, by the way, not Daniel from the Bible. <laughs> He says, God hasn't set up his voicemail because he doesn't send our phone calls to voicemail. He answers them as we speak. That's the kind of relationship that we want to be a part of. And so the first step to a legacy of faith is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And the second step is to show and to remind and to recite to your children and you talk about what God has done in your life. Remember, Deuteronomy, they're, they're about to enter into the promised land. In Deuteronomy, God has already rescued them from slavery. God had taken them out of Egypt. God had parted the Red Sea. God had rained manna down from heaven. God had given them quail for food. God had literally been with them the entire way until they reached the promised land. And God remains with us today. And God says, tell your children and your children's children about what I have done for you. So the question that I hope some of you are asking is, well, what if I don't have any children? Then maybe you have nieces or nephews. And some of you might say, but I don't have nieces or nephews, so does this mean that I only have to worry about the part one of this? And the answer is no. Because if you're a part of a church community, we, we do have children in our midst. Now, maybe you can't just go up to them and say, hey, let me tell you about what God has done in my life. Like, it takes relationship building before you can go up to a kid and tell them that. But there's different ways that some people do this is by leading Sabbath school or children's Sabbath school division. You know, the people who are volunteering their time, their effort, and even their resources are telling their kids or our church kids collectively about what God has done for them. You know, this whole sermon series has been about how do we pass on our legacy of faith, and it's by building relationship with the generations that come after us. Our faith is never just for what we get out of it. Yes, through our faith in Christ we are saved, and through our faith in Christ we are forgiven of our sins, but it is also through this faith that we are to pass on to those that come after us. We live our life to expend it on behalf of the younger generation so that they will know and have a relationship with God. And so this morning as we continue, we're, we're on the fourth essential for what it looks like to have these healthy relationships with our younger generation and what it means to pass our legacy of faith on. And we're going to be looking at a topic that is very easy to understand, but very difficult to live in our, in our daily life. And we're going to be talking about empathy. Empathy is one of those things, like I said, if I ask you all what empathy is, most of you will be able to tell me what it is. So this morning, for just a moment, we're going to define what empathy is, and we're going to then ask a follow-up question, how do we get better at it? So I want to begin with, just uh, not begin, but I want to share a quick story. 
about two years ago, my last living grandparent passed away. His name is Jesus, but we all called him Chewy. Um, I think I'm a lot like him in a lot of ways. Uh, he was so funny. He, my, his wife, my grandma, passed away when I was 21 years old. So he lived on for another 14, no, 15 years after that. We didn't think he would make it, but he did because he helped take care of one of my nephews. And, and it just gave him so much life. But I remember going over and just spending time with my grandpa, not as much as I wish I had now. But he would teach me how to make certain kinds of Mexican pastries called um, gorditas dulce, which are like, it's just dough with sugar, I think. And I went over there, and I remember spending the day with him, and I would say, okay, grandpa, like, I want you to show me how to make this. And so I had my little phone, and I was going to make notes, and, and so he would say, well, you, you get some of this, and you get some of this, and you add some of this, and then you just kind of eyeball it, and I'm just like, so I just put my phone away. I said, like, I'm not going to learn. I'll have to ask someone, like, I'll Google it, because I, I, I don't, I couldn't figure it out, because it wasn't exact. But he spent the time with me to show me. I remember one of the last memories I have of him is we went for a walk, and this was months before he passed, and, you know, he would always do walks around the neighborhood, and I remember him just, you know, we just walked around a block, and he pointed out every plant and every tree, and he was just fully present to the moment. And I remember, like, that's the memory that I wrote about in my blog at the time, and it's a memory that I carry with me because it was a time that he spent with me, not just because I was his grandson, but because he valued the relationship that we had. So when he passed away two years ago, it was, it was probably one of the harder moments in my life where I was hit a little bit the hardest of the people that I've lost, which are not many. But I remember, you know, it was that I was the, I'm the only pastor in the family, but I'm not like big league enough because I'm like 36. So they had another pastor like do the actual like sermon for the funeral, but I did all the other work for him. And I remember just being overwhelmed with emotion. And I, I, I think I, I only teared up a little bit because I knew that I had to be, like, strong to make sure that everything functioned well. But the very next night when I was at the hospital, I was called in to, to, for this, what's called a code blue. Someone's heart stops. I go there, and it was a, a youngish lady, probably about my age. And she was there because they brought in her grandfather. And I remember thinking to myself... Up until this point in my life, I could go there, I'd be like, hey, my name's David, uh, you know, I'm a chaplain, we're here to help if there's anything you need, you know, don't hesitate, God bless, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it, it was very detached, and I think for men, sometimes it's easier to kind of compartmentalize things, but, you know, I, I would feel a little bit sad, but I'd be like, hey, you know, I'll be back in a few minutes, right, to give them time, but this day was different, because all of a sudden, I now had a very real experience of my own that taught me what it felt like to lose someone that you love so dearly. And so because of my pain and my experience the day before, I was able to be more present and more empathetic to this lady that I never met before and have not spoken to since, but I was able to be more present. It's not the same feeling. No, one, no two people experience the same thing when it comes to loss but you have a semblance of how it felt for you and you're more empathetic when someone is going through something similar. And so when it comes to empathy, it's about understanding that what someone is going through may not be the same thing that you've ever experienced, but you kind of, in a sense, look into your own experience 
to be able to see how you can be more compassionate towards that person. So I want to give you a Bible story to give us an understanding of what's going on here. If we look at Hebrews chapter 14, the scriptures tell us that since we have a great high priest, meaning Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Now, I understand some of you are saying empathy and sympathy are very different, but like biblically and Greek-wise, this is as close as we're going to get to that same concept, okay? But it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet is without sin. And then verse 16 says, Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's what's so powerful about this. Like, like Jesus does the heavy lifting of our faith. You know, and sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to be a Christian, or I don't want to go to church, or I don't want to get into religion because it requires so much of me, or my life's going to be boring, or I'm not going to be able to do all these things that I love to do. But what's so powerful about this is that Jesus does invite us into this fellowship of believers, but Jesus does the heavy lifting because Jesus has been through the testing and the trials, and Jesus is now an ever-present help when you go through trials and tribulations. And some of you might be saying, yeah, but Jesus, he doesn't have my financial situation that I'm going through right now, and I don't know if he's going to be able to help me. But you know, like, nothing compares because Jesus literally laid down his life. An innocent man lays down his life to forgive your sins, to atone your sins. So maybe your finances are struggling, or maybe your relationship is going through a difficult time, or maybe you're having a hard time finding work, or maybe, and you can fill in the blank, Every one of us has struggles, but Jesus struggled too. And the scriptures tell us that because Jesus struggled as a human, he is an ever-present help for you when you go through your trials and your tribulations. You know, it's such a powerful example of God's grace that even though it feels like he's asking us to do something, God always gives us so much more. And even if you're going through something difficult in your life, God gives you enough Holy Spirit power to be able to get you through what you're going through. And so in Jesus, we have, and in Jesus and in God and in the Holy Spirit, we have a model for what it looks like to be people who are empathetic towards others. Remember, I started the sermon by saying that Jesus, the relationship that we have with God sets the standard for every relationship you have in life. And the reason that that's true is because God shows us what it looks like to be perfect, He is God. Jesus shows us what it's like to live a life of abundance and a life that is faithful because they want us to emulate them when we live our lives on this earth. And when it feels like it's too hard to do things here, we are reminded that God, through His Spirit, gives us the power to get through this. So when we talk about empathy... It's not like God is asking us to do something brand new. It is simply asking us to do what God continually does for you on a daily basis. See, that's why we pray. 
We pray because we're asking God to give us the power and the strength and the victory to get through that thing that we're going through. We pray because we know that God will give us a compassionate ear to hear our requests. We pray because we know that God will be empathetic to answer our prayers. And even though we may not always like how God answers our prayers, God does. The scriptures tell us that God is like a father, or the scripture says this, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It doesn't mean you're afraid of God. It means that you have a reverent and you're, you stand in reverent awe and wonder of this God who is so mighty and great. The Bible tells us that Jesus, that when he saw crowds gathering, it says that he had compassion on them and he healed them. You see, Jesus isn't just empathetic and compassionate and pats us on the back and says, all right, go along your way. But Jesus, he's compassionate, he's empathetic, and he does something to help. In a sense, Jesus is bearing the burdens of those who come to him. And another verse in John where it says, when Jesus saw this woman weeping and the Jews had come alongside her and were also weeping, Jesus was moved in the spirit and troubled and Jesus wept. Because Jesus has a heart for those who are in need. And so empathy is a part of how you and I pass on our legacy of faith. You know, it is so easy for us to look at the people that are younger than us. And, and by the way, this isn't just for those who are younger, and you'll see what I mean here in a second. But it is so easy for us to see other people and make judgments about them. Oh, well, sister so-and-so, you know, she, I saw her doing this, or she said this, or she's not dressed this way, or she hasn't been giving offering, I know, you know. We, we stand in our silo and we look at other people and it's almost like we lob rockets of criticism and judgment and gossip against other people. And instead of us taking the time to enter into their life and into a relationship with the people that we have a difference with, instead of us going to them and building the relationship as Jesus has done for us, we end up just lobbing these, these kind of battleship bombs and that's not what Scripture teaches us. You guys remember that game, Battleship? The pre-digital version? <laughs> and you try to sink the other ship? I think sometimes we do this even in churches. But instead of doing that, God is calling us just to enter into relationship, get to know the other person. Listen, empathy, compassion, and relationship, it costs something. It costs our desire to be judgmental and critical. It costs our desire to just want to be right and judge someone from afar. Empathy and compassion, as Jesus has modeled us, requires us to bear our cross and to enter into relationship with one another. And so, yes, this works for those in our younger generation. And, and yes, it works by just starting a conversation with those who are younger than us and just asking how they're doing, saying hi, building that relationship over time. But it also matters with other people in your lives. You know, this is the hardest, especially when we have a difference in opinion, when we have a difference in how things and how we live our lives. But the invitation for you and I as Seventh-day Adventist Christians 
is for us to enter into relationship with others. It's okay if we believe differently. It's okay if we see things differently. But all we have our responsibility is over our own behaviors. So I, I read this, I, I was listening to this study, and this is a doctor at Harvard University uh, in the School of Psychiatry. And she tells this story. Let me see if I can get this 100% right. So do, her name is Dr. Reese. Dr. Reese. She directs the Empathy and Relational Science Program at Harvard University. All right? And she says that one day one of her research students came to her and said, hey, I have an idea. Would you be willing to let me hook you up to skin, I don't know the right word for this, but like little skin type tag, electrical magnetic type things to be able to monitor your heart rate and other traits? And will you be okay if I do this for any one of your patients who is willing to do the same? And then I can see how you guys match up as you're going through the different conversations that you're going through. Right, so basically what they're doing is they're saying, we're going to hook you up to these, like, cords. I'm so terrible at this, but yeah, to see heart rate and other kinds of, like, physical traits to see if the patient and the doctor match up as they're talking. So it's kind of like psychological counseling. So this professor said, finally, I agreed. I said, fine, let's do it. And so she had this one student. This is the story she tells. There is one student who came smart, articulate. I mean, she was accepted to Harvard University, which is not necessarily an easy place to get into. They hooked each other up, and this, this girl was very um, smart, right? Her life, from an outsider's perspective, was put together. But the one area in her life where she had difficulty was in her weight. She'd never been able to take off any of the weight for any length of time. She wasn't very good at exercising. And so what ended up happening is, happening is During this first session, the doctor went and looked at the tracings and looked at whether they matched up or not, and they matched up a little bit, but not really. And so then she went and she looked at the video of the session, and then she looked at the girl's, like, heart rate and other of the traits that were going on, and she realized that there was times when the girl would flick her hair or would look down or look away, and she realized, okay, like, let me pay attention to that, because at those times, her heart rate started spiking more, and like all these other traits, right? So like, there was something there. And so what she did is that the next time they met, anytime she would do these things, like flicking her hair or looking away, she would kind of stay there a little longer and just kind of ask more questions and, and just let, let the student, like, explain, not explain, but just like, talk about what she was feeling. And what ended up happening is when the teacher showed this girl these tracings, the girl said, because the, the girl's tracings were all over the place, the girl said, this is not a surprise to me because I live with this anxiety every day of my life. And you are the first person to see that. And what was powerful about this story, the doctor says, is that they started, to sp- as, the, as they spent more time together working together, this girl started exercising. She started being able to kind of get over some of these hurdles, and she ended up losing 50 pounds in the first year of this session of, of working with this doctor. But the point of that story is that this girl felt for the first time that someone else saw her pain. You see, the power of empathy 
is that you are able to step into someone else's lives without judgment, without criticism, without telling them, well, if you do this, then you're not going to feel that way. Or if you do this, then you're going to be better. But rather just being a non-anxious, non-judgmental presence in the life of other people. I would say that this is true for adults, but this is especially true for children and for those who are younger than us. We don't need to be telling them, well, back in my day, no one wants to hear that. Like, you may have very valuable advice to give to younger people. Let's just be real. We've lived longer. I know I'm not as old as some of you, but you you know what I'm saying. And we do. We have tons of valuable advice to give those who are younger than us. But it can only be done in the context of a relationship with them. Jesus showed us what it was like to enter into human history and have a relationship with people and live. Like, it would be a different story if God was somewhere distant and then he says, okay, I snapped my fingers, now your sins are forgiven. We'd be like, okay, thanks, God. But God doesn't do that. God is not a God who is distant, but a God who enters into human relationship and he lives his life as a human, like also as fully God. I get that. I don't fully understand it. But I think that God also had, like, Jesus had to be fully human because otherwise then he had an unfair advantage over us, right? Right? I mean, it's okay to say yes. <laughs> if Jesus was like, I mean, he was God. But, like, I think he had to experience the trials and tribulations of this earth as a man to show us that what it looks like to live a life in complete dependence and obedience to God. And so God enters into each one of our lives, and he is empathetic, and he is compassionate. So as you prepare to leave your legacy of faith, this is a reminder to enter into these relationships with patience. And this is, I'm going to end with this kind of observation about Scripture. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, how long did it take them to enter the promised land in Canaan? Forty years. How long should it have taken them if they went, like, Google Maps, right? Like, the shortest distance. How long, would it, how long should it have taken them? A couple days, right? So you have to ask this question. How in the world did these people who literally had a GPS, God positioning system, like God was by fire and by cloud, was with them, leading them, How is it that it took them 40 years to get there? Because God led them in stages. Because God knew that they weren't ready for everything God had for them. And so God patiently walked alongside them, was patient with them, led them as they were able to understand God and enter into that relationship And for the Israelites, it took 40 years. And so now I invite you to think about your life, your life of faith and your spirituality, and think about how long it's taken you to get where you are today and how patient God has had to be with you until this point in your life. And in 15 years and 30 years, you're going to be, you're going to look back and you're going to realize, whoa, God had to be even, like God had to be patient the last 30 years because I wasn't ready to fully understand. You know, so when we are passing on our legacy of faith, we are 
to be, as we're made in the image of God, to be like God, and we are to be patient with those that come after us. Because it takes people different lengths of time to get to where God needs them to be. And that's okay. God's not afraid. Because the picture that we see of God in Scripture is a God who walks alongside his people for as long as it takes for them to have a saving knowledge and an understanding of what it means that Jesus loves them. That is our spiritual legacy not just to tell people, well, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, and you better be doing this, and you better be doing that. Like, that, that never works. That never works. But you know what does work? You can all tell me of people in your life that loved you, that cared for you, that let you be yourself, and that walked alongside you. Be like those people in your life. Sure, there will be times when they ask for advice, and sure, there will be times for you to be able to share your knowledge with, of course. But it's only going to happen in the context of a relationship. So as we practice empathy, I want to invite you to try to be like Jesus, who is a high priest who was able to empathize with us in every way so that we can pass on this legacy of faith to those that come after us. Because there is nothing that compares in this world, nothing compares to having a relationship with God. Nothing. Other things will try. Other things will feel good for a moment or two. Some things may make us believe that for years it's been great, but there is nothing better than the relationship with God. Because in God's presence, we experience the fullness of all reality. And it is in the presence of God that we are able to fully be ourselves as we were created, full of faith, full of hope, full of love. And it's in the presence of God that we get to experience eternity now. It's okay if things aren't perfect, but you know, when you have felt the presence of God, Everything fits just right. Let us pray. God, you are too good to us. In fact, Father, sometimes we think you're too good to us that we don't know how to receive your blessing. Father, thank you for showing us what it looks like to be empathetic. Thank you for showing us and modeling the way for how you want us to live. And our prayer this morning is that you would help us to attain that. And God, we're thankful for your patience with us. Our prayer is that we would be faithful to you. That we would love you with our heart, our might, and our soul. That our whole life would revolve around you. And that when the moment comes, God that you would allow us to share this faith with the next generation. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.